Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the NXT 2.0 review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamblin, Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT 2.0. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review NXT 2.0, but also and AW Rampage as well as pay-per-views and premium live events. We also have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a big quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by the Dudley Boys to review NXT 2.0 and lots of developments, lots of title ramifications on this show, Hamlet. Oh, it was a bit flat, wasn't it? Like, there wasn't much in the way of... There was neither really great elite tier NXT 2.0 pattern nor particularly great action. Not that I ever expect the latter on this show. I, I didn't feel much for any of this. I don't know. So, missing, I've said this before, you miss a week of this show and the whole world on this brand completely changes. Mm. There's, it's just, it's constant chaos that you become so ingrained in it that it's only when you step out of it for just a second you realise that none of these characters ever make any sense. None of the stories you thought were stories were actually stories. And that's kind of what it felt like coming back into this. The tag belts, you know, the, the reason the tag belts are vacant doesn't count in this particular example. But all of these new feuds, these new programs, in a lot of cases, new champions, just already don't feel hot. It's like they've been at this 10 years. It's like, well, when are we moving on to the next thing? Because that's the pace that you expect mm. for this show. I'd like to think that when we go through this review, there's going to be more that I f- find funny than I did when I was watching <laughs> it. I'm not looking to this show for quality. You know, I'm, not, I'm not looking at it for quality action. I'm looking for things that I can laugh at or look forward to taking the piss out of with you two. And I didn't get much of out from this one. You are right, though. It's so all over the place after missing one episode. Like, super soakers, Joe Gacy putting on a ring that's a bit hot. I think we should play a game. I'm off next week. So I think the NXT (laughs) preview the week after, I think you should give me a selection of things that may have happened, and I have to guess the one thing that didn't. So... Easter holidays in the UK. I'm not sure if they have that. Is it spring break? Woo! Uh, uh, Yeah, I don't know what they do over there. I've Do they have the Easter Bunny? Systems in the UK, I don't know. Hey there, my name's the Easter Bunny. I'm bringing y'all chocolate. I think that's what it sounds Easter like. Easter Bunny's a gun-toting cowboy. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, they all are. Systems in the UK are not set up to support working parents. So I will be... <laughs> I will be... I'm not going to go longer on that. But I will be taking annual leave next week because it's uh, another... Oh, Sid, another two-week holiday. Back, so, um... Not so much Sidgwick's job. I think we should turn to Andy Murray, the real hater of this brand, to ask exactly what happened on the Return podcast. I'm not going to say we actually do this because I love doing every podcast that we do together right. But it is funny when Sid and Andy have to cover NXT 2.0. No, no, (laughs) No, it isn't. Right, I'm going to give you two insights into the working life of Michael Sidgwick. One is scarily accurate Mm. when it really shouldn't be. Stay tuned throughout for my eerily uh, accurate prescience. Mm. Prescience. Mm. Right, okay. Here's another insight into my life, right? Okay. So, again, I've got two children. I say this quite often. I have two children. Uh, I'm not getting up at one o'clock and then going back to sleep at three because I don't want to do that. I like a nice block of sleep, otherwise, I get irritable. But in order to preempt my kids potentially waking up early and making sure that I've watched the wrestling that I must review for work. And you can't possibly make James sit through this. Yeah, I have to get up <laughs> at a specific time. So on 
Wednesday night, Thursday mornings, because I really like AEW Dynamite. It's a great show. It's really well booked, all the rest of it. I get up at like 5 to 4 wow. a.m. Make a cup of tea, just so I'm locked in for the duration. So if they get up at 6, I've watched the show. That's because I feel like it's worth my time, worth my proper analysis, engaged brain, all the rest of it. I like the idea that you don't actually have to set an alarm for that as well. It's like Suzuki versus Joe, Punk versus Penta Skuro. I'm awake! Yeah. I'm awake! So that's what I do for Dynamite. For both Raw and NXT, bearing in mind one of them's three hours long, <laughs> I, I get up at half five. <laughs> because if they wake up at half six, I'll just watch the rest on YouTube. Like, there's no depth to these matches. Half of them don't have finishes. It's just not the show where you have to really pay attention to it. This morning, when I was watching NXT, I thought I had an epiphany, right? And it was quite a sobering one. And then an epiphany. I, an epiphany. <laughs> and it was a very sobering epiphany to the point where it's like, oh, God. Within 15 minutes, I was on Wordle. I was like, you, you don't have time to procrastinate because you're up early to preempt not being able to do this for your job. I was like, I have to go on Wordle. Watching this show must be like, knobs. <laughs> so my epiphany is this, right? Okay, I'm watching a lot of very green talent or talent that you know would be better off served in a different promotion, like the Dearly Departed Gunther, for example. Mm. So it's either talent that I know can do better or talent that I'm just generally waiting to get better so that it's worth my time. Mm. And I'm watching Cameron Grimes. Cameron Grimes. Yeah, Work a f- fairly decent match yeah. with Sola Sakura. That legitimately, for his level of experience, I think Sola Sakura should be immensely proud of this because it was a passable, like, banger adjacent NXT opener yep. that um, kept this crowd and as performative as they are, like, engaged throughout. There was a shift in the storytelling where the old babyface dynamic got a little bit sort of twisted and there was more drama and all the rest of it. But I kind of hated the mid-match acting and monologuing. And then it struck me, this whole show is premised on the idea of talents who aren't there yet striving to passively work a style of match that I don't even like when it's done really well. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, well, there's literally no point in me personally watching this if I didn't cover it for work. You're watching people become good at something that you don't particularly Mm. like. Yeah. It's like... So so that the person that does like that can change them when they get there? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Like, which further skews this, doesn't it? Yeah, so it's basically, I'm watching a reality show about what's something I don't care about particularly. Made in Chelsea. That yeah, kind of reality yeah. nonsense. Or like, more like a judging-based talent thing. Okay. It's okay. like, I'm not particularly Go Big fan. Show. <laughs> no, that looks, that looks like rules. X-Factor. <laughs> just, yeah, it's just something like dancing. I don't really like dancing very much. So I'm watching people learn how to dance in a particular style that I don't like. It's like, ah, oh, what am I watching this for? Like yeah. The end goal can't possibly be something I'm, that's good. And I'm watching people not be very good. Uh, just, look, this is a good match with mid-match acting. I know I'm skipping ahead. No. That I just... Didn't really feel anything for. I didn't cringe necessarily at the mid-match acting, but it's not for me. Absolutely not for me. And then that was the the realization of why I completely check out and I'm numb to this and I'm watching it just, uh, okay. Very excited to get to the bit, though, that you predicted accidentally. Oh, my God. NXT 2.0 is the voice. You know that the one with the turning around chairs? chairs, Spinning chairs, right? It's the spinning chairs, flashing lights, bright colors, like NXT 2.0. For these judges who were virtually meaningless and they were like, and Tom Jones, oddly enough. I was going to say, this feels like 2.0 is written for Tom Jones. Who kind of gets to be Bruce Pritchard. Turn me out. <laughs> <laughs> so they're all horny, 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 horny in these spinny chairs. And there'll be some singer on there being like, it's just my dream. I just want to win the voice. Name anybody that's been on the voice ever. Uh, exactly. Music industry. Apart from the judges, no Music doubt. industry, like Vincent Mann, gets them and then spits them out and doesn't want anything to do with them. I just I just want this as my dream. It's I my, love, my dream. I, I love the... I've completely gone off on a tangent here, but I don't care. I love the idea of, what if a singer was ugly? Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the premise of the voice, isn't it, basically? Like, ugh. Oh, but your voice is quite good. If I shut my eyes, I can get through this hideous presentation. So is that like, are we discussing the matches of particularly <laughs> green wrestlers? What if these wrestlers were terrible wrestlers? <laughs> Spin your chair around. Weren't good enough yet? <laughs> anyway, let's start at the beginning of this show because it was Cameron Grimes, baby, to the North American champion, uh, putting his title on the line again, as Sid said, against Solo Sokoa. Uh, yeah, early on, they're sort of going back and forth. And then, ah, uh, no way, Grimes just stops and goes, hey, I respect you, but you 
and the bloodline, your, sorry, your bloodline can kiss my grits. <laughs> and I was like, where's this come from? <laughs> and also, um, you've had grits now. Yeah. We understand that reference. Oh, don't get grits. Sidric, you are, we don't agree on many food things. We found one once. Was it greasy garlic bread with greasy cheese? Greasy garlic bread with more cheese than base. Oh. Yeah. The takeaway, the takeaway pizza disc, effectively. That There's that Simpsons gag, isn't there, where like, is it Dr. Nick Riviera rubs greasy food on a wall and it becomes a window and falls a bit. <laughs> oh, when he's trying to get fat. Yeah. yeah. Those garlic breads that do that to the pizza box because they're so swimming in the green. They're like, that's one of the few things we agree on. So have you got like more refined palate? Yes. They're going to have an Adam and the Dadley boys with their wives <laughs> come dine with me and we're going to make the worst food and be like, 10. Well, you are. 10. You are great. I was going to say, Cedric, you're refined. You've been very kind to me there. Somebody that is currently trying to beg for cereal on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I've, <laughs> I got saw that. I've got a slightly more refined palate than you. I think that's fair to say. Uh, you're begging for cereal on yeah. Twitter. Tonight, I'm making tapas. Yeah. Oh. Only two dishes because I've got like two kids and I have to put them to bed. But I'm thinking one doesn't quite cut it. I won't be a nice compliment to the other. So I'm doing potatoes brava and oh, uh, potatoes bravas and uh, strizzo, chorizo. Uh, student cider. Lovely that. With some chickpeas. And some there's me looking at, the, looking at the CM Punk pentagraph and thinking, whoa, get the wheels! <laughs> so we're going to have a delicious meal cooked by the Sidgwicks, yep. including mar- margaritas is your thing, isn't Why it? Why I? Yeah. Cider margaritas. Me, which will just be like, meat. No sauce, no nothing. Meat. There you yep. go, there's your meat. And then it's like, over to the hamlets. Um, to start, we'll be having... Cocoa Pops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any, of the ki- any of the kids' cereal left? It's like Sidgwick going into a spice rack with me, getting one of those variety packs and picking which miniature box I'm going to have when Dynamite starts. Anyway, yeah, grits are like um, a, a bowl. So do you know what grits are, Sidge? No. Food aficionado. You would think it, would it, because it's grit, would you think of it to be something dry like edge? Yes. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's I know not, it's, like, it's more like a, it looks like a thick, sludgy soup when it's served to you, right? It tastes like butter. It's it's like butter porridge, you said. Butter porridge cheese. In that a sounds bu- awesome. In a bowl. Mm. Aye, One spoonful's th- awesome. You would think so. Like, you feel it killing you as you're eating it. <laughs> so it's like one of those where, you know when people say, oh, can we do a quarter of a Chicago deep dish? And I'm thinking, are you joking? <laughs> it's uh, like, it is. I get what you're saying, but then I could eat a full Chicago deep dish. But everyone says, oh, you can't. You're not supposed to. It, it's very much the food. You know, like if... Like a family would make like a big stew because they don't have like they don't have the means to cook much more, so you need something big in vast quantity that's going to keep you full. Ain't nothing wrong with the stew. Exactly, grits is absolutely that for that purpose. But when you've selected it as a side instead of I, I don't know some potatoes, I think was another option. That's when it's a total disaster because you've already got your dinner and it's like this. This is bonus. This and it was butter flavored porridge. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I, so. Uh, hence now we, why we understand why Solo Sikoa are fired up at this You wouldn't want to kiss someone's grits, I don't think. No. Uh, and then that happened again later on as Grimes tried to slam Sikoa's head into a turnbuckle. Cider? Like, is that like a cooking cider or actual booze cider? Just actual booze cider. You stew yeah. things in it and it's very delicious. I, I was left thinking about that. <laughs> I'll send you the recipe. No, don't send in the recipe. You will and I will. Tonight we're going to see bloody... Cornflakes with bloody white lightning <laughs> poured didn't over have it. Any, didn't have any cider, but there was one of the top rope brewing company what cultures in the fridge. So I've just poured it on my cornflakes. I'm excited for some Hojo versus Minoru Suki. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so they, they. I made you on Noki Nine Doors once. You did, I? Uh, mm-hmm. That was good. Leave that hanging. People might be interested yeah, in that. <laughs> That's a side podcast to be developed. Uh, so, yes, yeah, Sokoa fires up and they, they spill to the outside. Uh, Grimes does a somersault sent on off the apron. Uh, when we come back from the break, Grimes is in control, but Sokoa counters him and again fires up. There's an Umaga sort of splash in the corner by Sokoa. That gets him a near fall. Uh, Grimes goes for a missile dropkick but misses, but lands on his feet, then does that brilliant running Spanish fly of his. Uh, they trade some near falls. Sokoa hits him with a Samoan drop, and then he's, he's looking to go and climb to the top rope to do a huge splash. Out comes Trick Williams to interfere. Uh, Sokoa kicks him. Um, and uh, hits the superfly splash off the apron onto Trick Williams. Uh, but all this distracts Sokoa, so when he gets back into the ring, he gets nailed with the cave-in by Cameron Grimes, who gets the one, two, three. He retains the North American Championship, but post-match, as we anticipated, Carmelo Hayes also gets involved after Trick Williams' involvement. Um, he uh, he attacks Cameron Grimes. Sokoa makes the save, but then Trick hits him with a chop block, and they beat both of them down. 
and uh, Grimes gets held in place by Trick, so Carmelo can hit him with a springboard crossbody and stand tall with a title belt. Can I say one more thing while it's on the tip of my tongue so I might forget? In an all-babyface match where one of the babyfaces is the champion, that babyface champion should wrestle with a heel edge with the idea being that you want people to think that a title change is imminent. Yep. You want them to think it's going to happen. You want them to want it to happen, so therefore they get behind the challenger and that the heel should ordinarily, and the babyface champion should ordinarily be a little bit of a prick, competitive edge, all the rest of it. We saw it throughout Cody's genius TNT title run. Um, usually do this via showing, not telling. A little bit of showboating. If you watch, obviously, this is never going to be as good as Bret Hart versus Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13, but like the genius of that match is that gradually, 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 Bret Hart plants the idea in the fans, in the, in the minds of the fans, who eventually clock on with like, Swiss watch timing by the finish. Mm. Bret Hart's a bit of a cock. <laughs> like, he's so much more aggressive and nasty with, like, the limb work. It doesn't feel like strategy. It feels like he's trying to, like, really hurt his opponent. That's the absolute ultimate display of show not tell in a professional wrestling match with a, with a similar dynamic. NXT 2.0 is so NXT 2.0 that they just scream in your face, I'm going to play the heel for the rest of this match. <laughs> and it's just pretty artless. Yeah, I can't disagree too much with that. I, about once a fortnight, maybe once every three weeks, NXT 2.0 has... The developmental brand has a quite good developmental match. And I don't mean to... Maybe I'm down with faint praise there, both Cameron Grimes and Solo Sokoa as developmental wrestlers. They're, they're obviously not. They're a cut above the developmental grade. Grimes, certainly. Yeah. Greatly. Like, greatly. We, like, there's a developmental grade that shows itself all too often on the show, and they're way beyond that, and Solo Sokoa seems to be coming on with it. So in that sense, when you try and judge this... Uh, as a developmental show, this was a success. Like, unfortunately, it is plagued with the things that they are also developing as well as their in-ring skills, which is the WWE skills, which is screening things at the hard camera, you know, so the thickest person in the back row <laughs> understands exactly what's going on. Um, and it does take away, as well, the, I, I kind of wish I'd seen this coming, but this is an NXT pattern dating back to the Triple H era, as well as now. Carmelo Hayes is going to have his rematch feud, probably lose, as a way to line him up for Bron Breaker. Like, there's this oh, yeah. failing upwards thing of the ex-mid-card champions that happens all too often. And it's a really hard, like, quagmire for them to have to tromp through. Like, Carmelo Hayes, like, if we all just said, oh, Carmelo Hayes, you could see as a future NXT champion if he even lasts there long enough before getting called up. Yes. But typically, they make them go on this particular route and it's this this was like the first awkward step of that. He's probably gonna lose to Cameron Grimes because he's in that short time with the belt and short time on this show even, he's kind of already ascending beyond its mid card. Would you have accepted it more? Would you accept it more if they hadn't gone back to the NXT North American Championship and he just waited around for a bit and then been reintroduced as a challenger for Breaker? I would have done that the, very occasionally a, li a little bit more subtle. I don't even want to use that word on this. Podcast, but they can be a little bit more subtle. Yeah. But often they go at the rematch first because they believe it's some sort of establishing thing. As if Cameron Grimes surviving a ladder match and winning the belt fair and square doesn't establish him enough. And the fact he's been in this brand for ages and he dedicated it to his dad and all this sort of stuff. It's like, you've got to beat the champion again to double down on it. It's partly because they're buying TV time as well. But I can never really be asked with this leg of the journey when they're clearly elevating somebody. Mm. It's because they're losing as well. Like, what's happened is by the end of this, you'll have seen Carmelo Hayes lose twice. So Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett run down the gauntlet match for the vacant tag team titles. They get interrupted by Grayson Bloody Waller, who's there with Sanger, and he's still got the sling on his arm, of course, from that horrible bump that he took at Stand and Deliver. Uh, and he's angry. He says they should have just been handed the tag titles. Uh, but Sanger's going to fight for both of them, effectively, and win them the titles. Uh, and then also we get a video with um, the Creeds and Malcolm Bivins. Bivins says, pretty deadly, a pretty bloody stupid attacking the creeds uh, they're going to destroy pretty deadly say the creeds they're going to get their revenge they're going to beat up everyone uh, and then there's a nice sort of old school drawing the, the ball out of a tumbler thing and they get the ball out and they're happy and they say they wouldn't have it any other way and i went oh cool you're first then and yes mm -hmm. they were uh right and then we got braun breaker your nxt champion coming down to the ring to uh, unleash his fury on joe gacy after he kidnapped rick steiner of course um but uh, he, he says, you know, 
despite the fact that Joe Gacy had some nerve pulling that crap last week, he reveals to us that Rick Steiner has been released. He's home. He's safe and sound. But he says, no one messes with his family. No explanation as to why or how that happened. Uh, but no one messes with his family. And he calls out Joe Gacy, tells him to come down to the ring. But, of course, Joe Gacy is uh, in a video on the Titan Tron. He's outside next to a fire. And uh, he said, uh, interacting with, he talked about releasing Rick Steiner. He said, interacting with him helped him to get to know Bron better. He's so tough, because like just like his father, uh, because his father took that beating like a man. But he reveals he's still got Rick Steiner's Hall of Fame ring, which represents everything he sacrificed for his family. Uh, and he said the ring is his dad's life's work and uh, he can only be, or it can only be tested in fire. So he chucks it in the fire and he maniacally laughs, Sige. <sighs> rubbish. A hack, lame, rubbish. What else am I meant to say about this? It's just really terrible storytelling. Should we, like, do, should we do all of this in one go? The fire stuff and Joe Gacy? Yeah. Because later on in the show... Joe Gacy said he didn't like social media in the court of public opinion. Uh, the he, work mob. <laughs> he says he's the only one who can carry NXT. It's Bron Breaker. He's too damn emotional. He's a loose cannon. Uh, he's going to control Breaker's life, probably control his narrative whilst he's at it, tear it all down. Uh, but he is going to keep one thing, and he pulls the Hall of Fame ring out of the fire, which unsurprisingly hasn't been affected by a bit of a crap dumpster fire or whatever it's called. Uh and he puts it on, and it oh, it hurts him, but it's a necessary sacrifice. Jesus Christ! Like they've got bored of the they, they, they're happy with the pop they've had. Little bloody liberals, so they've given up on that now. Poor Joe Gacy, the human vessel for their little snippy digs, has been left with no character to speak of anymore. He's just a heel. He's just a heel doing heel stuff. Very very WWE heel stuff, but heel stuff nonetheless. Did they put the Steiner brothers in the Hall of Fame so that they could put Rick Steiner in a cage and burn his Hall of Fame ring? That's what I'm left asking. Like this. <laughs> You're only asking for about two or three weeks of planning to get to this point that we're at now. Uh, I I actually felt a little bit of sympathy for, comes up all the time, people you like having nice days at work. I, I've kind of, you know, Joe Gacy up to this point, other than seeing flourishes in the ring, kind of given nothing to feel either way, I felt a little bit sorry for the person who has been asked to take on this like, is he divisive? D- nobody cares about his brand. Oh, okay. Theoretically, theoretically divisive character that they are just ready to pretty much abandon and turn into a generic heel to feed to Bron Breaker. And then what's next for him? Well, that monster over show that they're going to have more interest in. So Harland's probably going to deck him as well. Or, you know, it, like, doesn't look good for Joe Gacy, does it? But this is what we talk about sometimes. When the firings come around and somebody's been let go because of budget cuts, in inverted commas, or creative having nothing for them. That's the fault of the company. And the potentially, they're, like, affecting the work that the rest can do outside of the company mm-hmm. because they've been buried on screen or whatever. Like, you're just watching somebody going through the WWE ringer and getting absolutely jack shit as a result. And you get, like, I like Bron Breaker. This match will probably be better than it's got any right to be. But it's just, it's rubbish seeing, seeing the wires. Shouldn't the fake liberal that Joe Gacy is portraying as directed by this institution that is <laughs> WWE shouldn't he like social media isn't social media in the eyes of yes. the right they don't get this it sort of tool to like sort of reorder the world to their liking and all the rest of it yeah that's why they had to make their own maybe yeah exactly what was it called parlor parlor parland <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're, they're too stupid to be vindictive yeah he's got a he's got he's got the hall of fame ring which gives him Hours? It's not hard. I've, I've been watching too much TNA. It's like Abyss would be. Uh... Speaking of fires, remember when like Kane was on Parlor and being like, "Hey guys, get on Parlor." <laughs> but for me, <laughs> it's, it's for me. <laughs> uh, toxic attraction and getting interviewed by Mackenzie Mitchell. They're happy to get their titles back. They've got all the gold again. Uh, Mandy says, "Hey, I should ask you a question. How good is it sitting with the ladies of NXT?" Uh, and she said, uh, ahead of tonight, um, ahead of the title match, in fact, uh, Dakota's voices won't help her win the title. She's going to go out there and beat Dakota Kai. Don't care about any of that, but um, I should have been doing my job better the last few weeks. I hadn't noticed that the new NXT 2.0 belts have been unveiled, and they look amazing. Oh. <laughs> this brand generates no comp. New belts on Twitter 
How long is that conversation? Oh, people love the belts. Belts, man. There's like, there's, there's like, I like my wrestling attire. Some people love belts, right? Remember the half, I, I love it to this day, daily, the half finished TNT title. And when that got updated and changed, whenever somebody gets a new, a personalized TNT title and all that stuff, belts, belts, belts. Have you seen any discussion of the fact that they have unveiled two like rainbow tinted paint splatter NXT title belts for Bron Breaker and Mandy Rose? They look stunning. Nobody cares. Like, that feels to me a marker of how little interest there is in this brand as anything else because I couldn't stop staring at both these titles this morning. They look lush. They're great, aren't they? But like you say, just they're, no one... They're almost subtle. For, I was expecting to like, splatter straps, and they're almost subtle. It's the classiest way possible of getting the colour dynamic. Like, the, what's it called? Iridescent sort of effect on it. It just looks really nice. But no one cares. No. <laughs> why, why, why are we even doing this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Well, next, uh, we go backstage and Jacket Time are getting ready for their showdown, or specifically, Kashida is getting ready. Just asked and answered, why are we doing this podcast? Jacket Time are getting ready for yeah. their match. Uh, yeah, Kashida is going to face Barm Wagner. There you go. Uh, Funny voices. That's what there I There we go. Uh, but he gets attacked. They both get attacked. Uh, Van, uh, Von Wagner batters him. Uh, he power bombs Kashida just off screen, basically, over some equipment. And Robert Stone walks up and goes, huh. Yes, there's no match tonight then, and we have a commercial break. When we come back, Bob Wagner and uh, Bobby Stoner in the ring, and uh, it's, oh, it's Bob Wagner's world, you're just living in it sort of thing. But out comes Ikamanjiro. He's still ready to fight. He's selling, of course, selling his ribs, but he's he's pissed. He's going to kick Von's ass. Uh, so we're getting the match regardless. He's taking Kushida's place, uh, and he showed a bit of fire in there, made a, a valiant comeback against Von Wagner, super kicks to knock Vag- Von Wagner off his feet. I think he did some sort of swanton bomb at one point for a near fall. Uh, but then Von Wagner, uh, in his inimitable style, just kicks him right in the face to stop him. Uh, Death Valley driver, finisher, gets the one, two, three. Post-match, Robert Stone's trying to order Von Wagner around and tell him what to do and tell him to kill Ikem and Jira a little bit more. But then, Michael Sidgwick, there's a sexy lady in the crowd <laughs> and she orders him to, to punish Jiro and he hoys Jiro into the front row of the crowd, which admittedly did look awesome. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. I don't care about any of this. Like, Von Wagner is, uh, God bless him, he's a charisma void. Um, the specific way in which Jack and Timer presented is fairly deplorable. Mm-hmm. Don't care. You know when we talk about the, the space between, in something, for example, like uh, CM Punk versus MJF, 
and it's just something that you luxuriate over. Von Wagner makes me do that, but for all the wrong reasons. Like, because the space between is this, like, chasm where you can see him figuring out what he's going to do. What now? <laughs> like, he's, he's, just, he's, he's still a fascinating creature to watch, but not for the, all the right reasons. Mm. He, he's a he's odd, he's Von Wagner. Like, I, them thinking three months of a friendship and a 12-minute TV pair for Kyle O'Reilly was going to be like, done, yep, Von Wagner completed it, push him. Uh, it, it amazes me that, like, Brombreaker worked. There has been other sort of minor success stories in the same vein, mm-hmm. like Rocket Strap pushes on 2.0. That they thought that would be Von Wagner's amazes me. Like, they must have been so high on, what was Triple H doing, keeping all these guys in the back? Von Wagner, me too. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, one of Michael Hamlet's favourite segments came next. Um, we've got Nikita Lyons getting <laughs> interviewed. Uh, she's asked about her feud with, with Lash Legend. She says, look, Lash is great, but... I'm going to prove anything to Lash Legend. She wants to prove herself capable of winning the title. And, uh, well, you take it from here, Michael Hamlet. A sneak attack from the front. <laughs> I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Like, she never saw, never saw her coming. She did for about a minute and a half from off screen. That stupid fourth wall stuff that WWE like, did. What is, what is it? Monty Python and the Holy Grail where that bloke's running up and it just keeps looping. Yeah. He just runs up and stabs him. This is them, as always, asking you not to ask the questions. It's like, at what point did you, like, was you, like, she just got no periff? Is yeah. that what it is? And even then, her head's, what, turned like 10 degrees more? And she's like, oh my God, what's that? Give it a minute. Give it a minute. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> was there some editing trickery here as well? Or they just the kick in the face? Yeah, because like they did, I don't know if it's just a terrible camera cut or they edited it so it looks way more full on than it was, but it just looked so stupid and fake. They continue to build one of the worst possible matches they can build and hey, put time into it. Over-delivered last week. Yeah, he said it was good. Okay. They were actually like, snug in the strikes. There was a bit of sort of storytelling of like competitive edge to it. Like It wasn't bad at like, all. We have but s- there was a winner. Yeah. Yeah, but the feud must continue. Like Nikita Lyons, like, she, she can go a bit. Like, she's got, she's, everyone in NXT 2.0 has the bits that they can do mm. that get rehearsed to mechanical levels of familiarity. Building a match, sort of performing, interacting with the audience is a different thing entirely, but certain wrestlers in this, like Stratton's got her athletic spots and her kip-ups and stuff, and Nikita Lyons has got her strikes. This genuinely last week wasn't bad at all. Particular credit to Lash Legend then, because she was in dire need of something, anything. Mm. Good oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, she tells Mackenzie that uh, she should interview her, not not Nikita Lyons, and then she walks off. Then we get a, a little uh, inset promo, or a little promo, sorry, from uh, Pretty Deadly, so they call themselves the most extravagant, eccentric, flamboyant, and tasty members of the uh, NXT tag team division. And they said the, uh, they attacked the Kree brothers to make a statement, and they're going to make history by winning the tag titles on their first match, and uh, they get their ball out of the thing for the gauntlet match, and are very happy with what they've got. And then we get the NXT Women's Championship match. It is Mandy Rose defending against Dakota Kai. Usual stuff here. Toxic attraction at ringside. So anytime Dakota Kai starts getting on a bit of a roll, they get involved. So early on, Dakota Kai just goes bollocks to this and does a dive off the top right onto JC Jane and Gigi Dolene. Uh, that takes us to a commercial break. When we come back, Kai is still in control but gets cut off. She makes a comeback. There's a... Again, of several moments of, let's just say, miscommunication in this match. Uh, it was a leg sweep that went a bit awry. That got uh, Dakota Kai a two count. They trade near falls. Um, Kai goes for the chiropractor and, well, I'll just say what they said, doesn't get all of it. Uh, again, the tag champs at ringside distract. Gigi Dolene distracts the referee. JC Jane jumps on the apron. Kai boots her off there, but then she gets distracted by a belt, turns around uh, into the running knee, uh, the Busaiku knee from Mandy Rose, and uh, that gets her the one, two, three. And then post-match, Wendy Chu, where's Wendy? There she is. She hops up on the apron with super soakers and sprays toxic attraction like Austin's beer bath, and they sell it as much. And uh, quite rightly, Wade Barrett asks, how old is Wendy Chu? Quick note on the match before I point something out, right? This was... 12 or so minutes of the WWE match that has to go the way that it goes, performed move for move, irrespective of the performer's ability to do it properly. As a result, stuff got blown. It was overambitious. It was too long. It just wasn't particularly good or compelling or believable or energetic or stirring or anything. It was just some moves happening in the usual order at the usual pace some of which were blown because one of the performers, frankly, isn't that great in the ring. Right. 
Every year, I write an article for whatculture.com slash WWE. You can pay a visit to there after this podcast to read it. It is entitled... Oh, it's going to be out in video form soon, voiced by a brilliantly uh, talented voiceover artist, I believe. Really? And it's called 10 Candidates for WWE's Bizarre Post-WrestleMania 38 Push. And what this is, is a comedy article, essentially, based on the fact that in 2016, because I think I did it like one or two years later, 2016, when, you know... Undertaker had gone away again after WrestleMania 32, and Brock Lesnar after the Ambrose match, he went away. They realized, right, we've got a situation here. We have to get the part-timers in because no one cares about the existing roster. When the part-timers go away, we haven't solved that problem because we've still got the existing roster that people didn't really care about. What we should do, not is book really well all year round, (laughs) but what we should do is we should get names that we haven't really used, and as a result, no one cares about, and just repackage them in these pretty ludicrous ways and expect fans to get away with it, uh, to care about it. So this year, it's Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. In previous years, we've had making Darren Young great again, Jinder Mahal, Shining n- Stars. I thought of another one, uh, Mojo Rawley with the blue stuff on his face. Yeah, Mo- Mojo Rawley. We've had like countless examples of this um, over the years. So I've cottoned onto this thing, and it's a satirical look at how bad WWE can get in the doldrums post-WrestleMania. I've devised this um, annual series. Which it's again, one of my favorite things you do. I love it. I do love it. It's basically, uh, I've written the best intro I'll ever write for it. It's pin the push on the jobber. that's what it is and so every year I strive to just go on www.com who hasn't been used to get repackaged and think of the silly gimmicks they could have and make jokes about it and all the rest of it there are some good jokes in here this one wasn't the best this was very much it's the last entry on the list Um, I've done some really good material elsewhere on the list but this time I'm just a little bit tired so I'm just going to do something intentionally stupid just for banter purposes. And this was written on Monday? No, it's written on... Did I finish this? No, I finished it on Monday. Mm-hmm. Finished it on Monday, and it was published on Monday, ahead of Tuesday's NXT show. So one of the candidates I thought they could just pin the push on the jobber was Mansoor. And I, I put him over a little bit, took there and said, like, earnestly, before the gag, like, why they could push him. So I said, blah, 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 he's 26, he's not as green as the NXT 2.0 lads, they're trying to draw a younger demo, all of which positions Mansoor nicely for the old. Here's somebody we suddenly care about, as should you, automatically and without question push. Perhaps he could play a silly character akin to Ezekiel. Maybe he could squirt heels with a water pistol <laughs> before cowering up the ramp or something. As a babyface, seems like something they'd do. They literally did it. My most cynical projection that I didn't actually think they would do, but the satire makes it seem like, oh, everything else they do is actually kind of silly now that you put it like this. And they actually went and did it. Very little to add. When did, like, as we suggested, when did you? That's dead. That was fun. If you even found it fun. And now it's not. That's finished. The women's title, the NXT Women's Championship used to be, by some margin, the most prestigious title in. All of WWE. It was one of the only ones that still retained its prestige. You do that with... Pre-AEW, at one point, it was the most prestigious one of all of wrestling. Yeah. You do that with um, consistently good matches, consistently good booking, and a belief in the belt and the performers that want to fight for the belt. Um, Just showing you over and over again what it is that makes all of this so great. NXT 2.0 attempted that with Toxic Attraction by giving them all the belts and just having them feature all the time. The bang average matches undermine it. The like it is clinical stuff, as Cedric pointed out. The move to move to move stuff. It's like it's surgically applied to these matches, but they're not good surgeons. When you haven't like <laughs> when Dakota Kai and Manny Rose are like botching things, as two of the more experienced wrestlers on the brand, it kind of that the trickle down effect of that lowers the expectations of everything else, and the expectations for everything else is pretty low already on two point This toxic attraction thing is just. It's this enforced vibe of dominance when you don't for a second feel it actually happening. You slap the belts and then you tell everybody, tell, 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 these are the most dominant group. Oh, they've got their own little lounge that, you know, they win all the matches. You don't feel any of it. It doesn't, the division feels in the pits and it doesn't feel like they're elevating any of it. I just thought this was miserable. Like, we, some weeks, try on behalf of a Dakota Kai, let's say. Oh, like, she'd just be on the main roster now. There's nothing left for her to do in that. And then, like, this match is rubbish. And it's like, well, I can't, I can't even really campaign for you off the back of this. 
everybody just spinning the wheels in meaningless filler television. That, like, I'm glad Sidgwick called a water pistol spot because at least there's some daft bollocks that they think is cre- it's not credible television. As Sidgwick points out, it's just something a silly, a silly one line to put in an article that should never in a million years make it a television. But it just highlights the gulf between what they consider acceptable and what we as fans should. Mm. And that's that's the level where this division at, is, is at at the moment. It's not going to be saved by stunt casting either, of which we'll get to later in this oh episode. Oh, there's still loads left, man. Uh, so this is where we get the Joe Gacy in the ring loads. stuff. Uh, and then Santos is backstage with uh, Legado del Fantasma, hyping them up ahead of the gauntlet, uh, saying no matter how many teams they have to face, they're going to run the place. And then in comes Tony D'Angelo, uh, who says, uh, hey, Isaac, hey, uh, look, I'm uh, sorry to uh, interrupt your little team meeting you got going on here. Huh? Me and you, hey, we might have uh, we might have had a bit of a misunderstanding last week. So he's got sinus problems. Huh? <laughs> he got a little bit of a sniff. I don't know what to tell you, huh? I took uh, took some uh, and pen- I the means. I took some Benadryl. Did call, man. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway. You have me lockets? <laughs> no no disrespect. But uh, things don't go your way this week, and this one, like, I'm not happy about this. Hey, 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 hey. Huh. Things don't go your way this week. Uh, here's a little taste, a uh, peace offering, if you will. He pulls out an envelope with loads of money in it, hands it to Santos Escobar, who takes it and sort of weighs it in his hand and then <laughs> shakes his head, puts it back in Tony's pocket and says... El respecto de la familia is worth more than that. Way more. And he walks off and Tony goes, okay, okay, wise guy. And that was the end of the segment. Thoughts? Long may this continue because of your funny voices. But, right, Tony D'Angelo, we assume, is going to remain one of NXT's top heels. He's just retired. He is a main man. He's a made man. Right. He's just sent Tommaso Ciampa packing. Get the schmuck out of here. (laughs) Right. Just done that. There you go, Ciampa. But, so he's going to remain the heel. They're probably going to want him as a want to break his like, big, big summer programs or something. Beat him, probably. Are they baby-facing the car park assault gang who have a numerical advantage over him in this feud? Are they the bit, like, is, uh, that, is that the intention of this, or are they all going to come together as master criminals? This is classic Paul Levesque. Yeah. <laughs> who's the heel and who's the baby-face? Oh, I've got yeah. absolutely no idea. Like, like, oh, there's three of them, and they're rejecting the money. They're kind of like looking down on Tony D'Angelo. And they're going to be baby faces. Oh, they just want more money. They wouldn't say, they didn't say we'd never do that. And Santa Escobar is going to be the latest, like, great wrestler, capital G, capital W, to try and, like, what, the third in a row? Pete Dunne, Tommaso Ciampa. Like, yeah, I'll tell you what, Tony D'Angelo's had three better than average matches. Yeah, he's the common denominator. That's what it is. You can do storylines where there's no baby face and a heel, but make it good. Yeah. <laughs> Right, uh, then we got Cora Jade Sans Skateboard coming out uh, to talk about her, her WrestleMania weekend stand and deliver. Uh, she said it was the most important week of her life. She said her parents got to watch her from ringside, but admits that she came up short in the match. She said she was going to, she thought she was going to leave with the title, um, but sometimes life just doesn't work out the way that you think. Uh, she uh, she went into Stand and Deliver wanting to become NXT Women's Champion, but now she needs to be champion. Uh, I can't said, think I can't skate. I can't do anything. And she said, this isn't just another, you know, oh, promo about the usual sort of thing. She wrote in her journal when she was eight years old, she wanted to be a champion in WWE, and she name drops the likes of AJ Lee, Natalia, Sasha Banks, Paige, etc. And uh, then suddenly, Bret Hart, no, sorry, Natalia comes <laughs> out. Huge uh, for Natalia. There's even a holy sh moment that she has returned to NXT. Uh, and uh, half right. A chant Natty's name. She fights back tears. Jade, Cora Jade, just, oh, just really fangirls. She does this weird little wave as Natalia gets in the ring. She marks out, basically. Um, she talks about, uh, Cora Jade does once they're both in the ring, about, uh, you know, going to watch Natalia and Natalia pointing her out in the crowd and then her DMing Natalia and then Natalia saying when she came to WWE, she saw a match that she had and she went to re- uh, message her on Twitter and then finally saw that message and uh, and Natty choking, choking up here. She said, uh, Jade, you're the, you're, Cora Jade, you are the future of the women's division. And then she suddenly, her face changes, Michael Sidgwick. She said... 
future is bleak. And then she slaps Jade in the face. And Jade can't believe it that she's doing this to her. Hero's doing this to her. And Natty puts her in the sharpshooter. And Jade's tapping out. And Natty just, she just looks furious. And Jade can't believe what's just happened to her. Yeah, I was watching this thinking, you know, eventually I'm going to see a sharpshooter. And, you know, Natalia got her legs. And then eventually, three minutes later, she actually <laughs> applied it. So I kind of got where this... <laughs> I knew where this was going a bit. Got him. Got him. <laughs> kind of knew where this was going. Natalia, this is one of those things where, like, you know for a fact that being very influential to certain wrestlers must mean a, an awful lot to Natalia. So absolutely fair play. I thought she was good in this segment for being able to channel that and then switch it around and, and like, use the real-life emotion um, for the ruse. Like, genuinely, I thought Natalia was good here. Um, Cora Jade, like, this company's fascination with de-aging all of its talent in some way, shape, or form is just so thoroughly bizarre to me. Kevin Nash. Dye your hair. Why? (laughs) Dominic Mysterio, 25 years old. There are, like, literal killer pillars younger than him, and he's, like, 16. (laughs) (laughs) And now Cora Jade's eight. Like, (laughs) it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, like... Underst- it's just so, like, laid on so thickly, the whole super fan element. Like, yes, it's good that you've got a young, and you can tell these intergenerational stories, and yes, it's all good, but, like, just make it look like that's a complete mark. Aye. Um, yeah, they, they don't mind. In their mind, we've said this before, there's been countless characters that have gone through this particular story. In their mind, it's actually a good thing that these people these wrestlers now are like living their dreams and just being in WWE is, is what it's all about. You know, like if you, if you go and like, if you're a kid right now or you're young and you listen to this and you've got any aspirations to be a wrestler, for God's sake, go and get some pictures taken with wrestlers because you never know when they could be used in storylines or write it in your journal and that also, like this is now part of, and this is an AW thing as well. Yeah. Fair. Was it John Silver and Chris Jericho the other week? Yeah. Of course, you've got the MJF thing. Punk on. You it's, a trend? Yeah, like wrestling has moved on. into Wrestlers have are wrestling longer so that you were seeing people come into the industry and are still able to fight. You wouldn't have had this when, like, you, you know, you had your 80s guys that were sadly all passing away in, like, the early 2000s. It, just, yeah. it couldn't have yeah. happened that way, and it does now, right? So you get more of these. But problem is in WWE, it doesn't come across as, oh, yeah, I used to see uh, an autograph signing, and now we're going to fight in this intergenerational. It's just, it's time standstill stuff. Natalia was in that, and it's awesome, by the way. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, one of the sort of two or three huge pivot points in women's wrestling in WWE, the match against Charlotte um, in 2014, mm-hmm. eight years ago, she was being dispatched to NXT to be the veteran presence against the, the hot up-and-coming star. Charlotte showed her some reverence and respect and then soundly out-wrestled and defeated her because it was her time. This is not that. And it's eight years later. Eight years, man. Like, there, that's twice Steve Austin's running then some at the top of this company. That's how much time passes, and they trot out the same old stuff and try and sell you it all over again. It's, it, it, does, make, it does not make sense that, like, they think this is a way to do it. I mean, do they even think it's a way to do it, or is this just now the norm, the Mysterios, Dolph Ziggler? Mm. Are they just uh, Braun winning the belt on Raw instead of it standard delivery? Is it just like, well, whatever, whatever. Like, they lean on the main roster, way more than Triple H outside of that Survivor Series month was ever permitted to. Mm. Like you never like they would remember when the heat of the Wednesday Night Wars and NXT wasn't even promoted on Raw. Like Triple H preferred Vince not knowing it existed. Now they're one and the same and you expect this sort of nonsense most weeks. Uh, and later on Natty put the whole roster on notice. T- Tatum Paxley challenged her to a match next week. Yeah. I love how they can't even bring themselves to call the goat. She's the boat. She's the boat. Put them on boaters. The best of all time. It's have some conviction. Should they have conviction or should they just try and not call Natalia the greatest wrestler of all time? Is it like where does this end though? Like let's bring him up again. At what point, like, do they like Mansoor turns up on NXT two point eight? It's like some people need to whip this locker room into shape, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, because having on the main roster ten minutes, like they they just believe like they, in their mind everybody's got Hogan dust or Austin dust. And it's just going to rub off on all of these no marks and dweebs and losers. It just doesn't work like that because the people you send and I'm going enough to begin with. Look, I'll tell you one thing, right? Let's be absolutely fair. Natalia did a pretty tremendous job of making Lacey Evans look passable. So yeah, 
There is genuinely mm. Sarah Logan was it as well? They were like the Natty Loop where you wrestle like twenty yeah. twenty nights in a row with her on the house. So maybe it's not the stupidest idea and we're being too harsh. Uh we got a video with No them. comment. <laughs> <laughs> Briggs and Jensen. Uh, getting fired up and yelling with Fallon Henley about winning the whole thing, and I thought, nope. Yeah. And uh, we found out that Nathan Fraser is coming to NXT 2.0, which is great because I haven't seen him on NXT UK because no one really watches it, that Because it doesn't exist, and that might actually be literally so soon. If Ben Carter's getting out of there, Gunther was like raced through NXT. Uh, I would expect Ilya Dragunov, with or without that belt, would be on here sooner mm-hmm. rather than later. Pretty deadly, I've just made the jump. It's... Not looking great at the BT Sports Studio at the moment, is it? Isn't all of that uh, bootlicking for absolutely nothing? <laughs> for absolutely nothing. Um, I'd be excited about this if I hadn't just watched a kid's career for the past month. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Zion Quinn squashed Draco Anthony next. Draco Anthony thought it was a good idea to mock Zion Quinn's, you know, uh, what do you, you call it? Uh, hacker sort of thing that he does. Uh, fired him up and he just wrecked him with repeated forearms to the face. And, uh, yeah, fairly straightforward squash this situation. Yeah, terrible. Uh, what, what I do want to know... <laughs> Wasn't even a good squash match. Like it's the other end of the Solo Sokoa thing. You see the developmental brand actually being an effective one, and then you see it being an ineffective one on the same show. It's like it was a proper power plant match, this. Like, big, jacked guy <laughs> kind of falling over as he does moves. It's not, just not good. I want to know your thoughts on the backstage segments next with uh, Index and Ducia. I think that's how I'm pronouncing it. Uh, talking about the gauntlet match, and they said that uh, Dexty and Duke... Should have uh, should have been in this. Duke's not happy. Dexter Loomis doesn't look too keen either. But Indy says, no, Dixie, Dixie would do it. And uh, Dexter looks at Duke and shakes his head. Uh, but they say, oh, you know, well, I, I think you should do it. Oh, I think you should do it as well. And uh, and they eventually just agree. An odd couple <laughs> tag team. Who'd have thought it, Sige? Nag, nag, bloody nag. Jesus Christ, I'll do it. If you say it at me enough times, I'm obviously going to freaking do it. That's what this is. That's what, this, that's what this is. This is so bad. These women fell out over these two men. Now they've done that fallout, and then like, you know what will fix all of this? It's pushing these two men together. The two men that came between them in the first place, right? Came between them. Mm-hmm. Like, because they were... Like, it's just... I, I hate this. I hate that. Like, and you kind of... Like, I wish I'd thought of this sooner, that this is where this was going to end up. You know, yeah. You know, like you look at now. Of course, we should have seen that this would be the end destination. This is how they believe real people live their lives. Awful, just awful. And there's going to be one week, and it's not going to be Cedric. It's going to be me and you, a couple of fucking idiots. Like, you know, I think I'm quite starting to like this. But they'll do one bit, and it'll get a gift. And that's quite good. But there's that one little boy that does, it's going to be Cedric. He's always right about this. But like, I just I hate myself because I know it's coming. <laughs> like. It'll be a bit of force of Willborn, or they'll just do a, a funny bit. Like, one of them will trip over the other one's massive cack. Like, <laughs> in, a, in a double team spot. But they'll win out in the end. It's like, it's Dexter Loomis joining the way, you know, with, with Gargano. But with no Gargano to elevate any of the in-ring whatsoever. Duke Hudson's a, a failed poker player. Oh, yeah. Pitiful. Anyway, time for the gauntlet for the, oh, uh, the vacant... Tag team titles. We start with actually quite a really quite an enjoyable match. Creed Brothers versus Legado del Fantasma. Um, yeah, big lads versus flippy lads, basically. Uh, Joaquin Wild, he's great. Hits a big dive to the floor to take out both the members of the Creeds. Mendoza comes in, running clotheslines, uh, springboard flip, uh, a flip dive uh, from Wild gets a near fall. Uh, Julius gets up for the tag and everything breaks down with Legado both getting caught in stereo ankle locks and then they send both of the Creed brothers into each other. Uh, Julius gets sent into the middle turnbuckle. There's a springboard missile drop kick to the back. Uh, Wild gets a two count off the back of a 450 as well. But then Brutus pulls Mendoza out to the floor uh, and Julius picks up Wild, angle slams him, assisted spine buster, that basement lariat thing that they hit. One, two, three, the Creed brothers advance. And we also had a little bit of something with Fallon Henley and Electra Lopez as Briggs and Johnson uh, made the entrance next. But I thought the opening match in this corner was, was really quite good. Amber. Yeah, um, it was, I mean, if you look at the teams in this match, it's, that, is that not the most sort of dynamic contrasted yeah, styles? Yeah. And the, the, kind of the best possible pairing when you, it, uh, this is not exactly like this, like stacked division or anything, but when in terms of pairing the teams off, this stood the best chance of succeeding, and I suppose it did. Uh, the like, do we do? I, I forget how this works with you guys' numbers formula, but typically, even if they're just doing it transparently to fill some time, 
They kind of know their way around these gauntlets at this point. It's got more than uh, four people in it. It's got less than 30, Sige. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. So there you go. Uh, then we had uh, uh, Boris Johnson, um, after he paid his fine, and uh, John Brogson, or whatever he's called, uh, versus the Creed brothers. A big, big brawl to start things off. Uh, the key thing here was Brutus Creed getting put through the announce table uh, via a double-team powerbomb. Julius Creed gets isolated. Um, but yet, despite all this, Brutus dives in to break up a pin attempt uh, later on. And then Julius trips up uh, Johnson and Brogson. Uh, and uh, Brutus hits a lariat, uh, counters a lariat, sorry, with a clothesline of his own and gets the victory. Jensen and Briggs eliminated. I'll run through the rest of this and then we'll, we'll give our thoughts on the whole thing. Yeah, yeah rap it up, rap it up. Uh, <laughs> Grayson, Bloody Waller and Senga gets involved. Sanger obviously does the most of the stuff here because Grayson Waller's arm in a sling. Except when it isn't because he's absolutely fine and he comes in to attack the Creeds after Sanger has dominated them. But then suddenly, Brutus again, Really like him. He's a big bloody lump. Uh, he uh, hits a suplex on Sanger, um, and then uh, it's again a basement lariat on Sanger to get the victory for them. The Creed brothers are running through the entire field, but then out come pretty deadly. Sorry, has Grayson Waller won since he employed the services of Sanger? I oh, beat Elliot Knightman. He did beat Elliot Knight. Didn't yeah. He? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Elton Prince and Kit Wilson of Pretty Deadly come out and jump the Crees, obviously, to try and get their advantage. They're fresh. Crees have run through everyone. They're bloody exhausted. Um, Brutus gets hit with a gut buster. Julius gets sent into the steps, and there's, everything sort of breaks down. Uh, a double headbutt puts down Brutus and uh, Kit Wilson, I believe. But in the midst of all this, there's a cheap shot on Brutus as the referee's distracted, and they hit their finisher. Spilt milk, I've been informed it's it's called. It's basically a heart attack with a sort of running neck breaker involved in it instead of a clothesline. And that gets them the one, two, three. They are your new NXT tag team champions. We called it yesterday, Sid. The right decision, and what did you make of this whole gauntlet? It was the right decision. The storytelling throughout, I think, was quite solid. There was just probably more tell more than show for me in terms of what I felt during it. I don't really need to see the Creed's go 27 minutes. There were several spots where I thought they are learning how to work a longer match. And again, it's all the learning. It's not the doing. It's not the absorbing. But like, I forget which Creed it was, but the lifting up of Sanger. I think it was Brutus. Brutus lifting up Sanger, like when he'd already gone through, what, two matches before then? Like that was like, he staggered it and he sort of really sort of registered how much he'd been sort of beaten down. And, you know, there's elements of this were really quite good. I just didn't need it to go 27 minutes. Um, I haven't seen much of Pretty Deadly because I don't watch NXT UK. What's the point? It's not enjoyable and doesn't do numbers. So it's pointless on a professional and personal <laughs> basis to watch it. And um, I wasn't impressed with Pretty Deadly at all. Like there were just cer- certain spots where they were like mistimed. Not outright blown, but like they was trying, like doing attack by the ropes, and they kind of just fell on their ass. <laughs> the first match was the best, and you don't want to peak that early in a half-hour gauntlet match with a lot of green and or basic wrestlers involved. I think they're doing a good job of um, not perfect because there's, pro- there's probably been one match too many already, but a good job of kind of showing you and, and telling you that. If the Creed brothers just had a fair, straight-up fight, yes. they would win these belts. They would be the best in this division. This is babyface booking. We've seen, I don't know if they're not technically babyfaces yet, but they've been babyface through the fact that every time they've tried to win the titles, they've not been given the fair shout to do so. Um, you've got the likes of attacks on multi-man matches or all these things, gauntlets that they're getting thrown themselves into. I think that's been reasonably effective, and it's been dual-purpose because they've had a lot more ring time, and they've not been wholly exposed by it at all. It wasn't that long ago. That you know you were kind of like uh, you know I was certainly feeling like oh, I've kind of I'm not wanting to see them go any longer than two or three minutes and mm. even when I am it's kind of it's softening their appeal. They've got that back. They're starting to feel like earnest baby faces. It's gonna I think it's gonna go down quite well when they win the yeah. titles. It's gonna either it's gonna be the like fully baby face diamond mine Bivens all this sort of stuff or they're gonna explode through the stable and become their own men as a team. You know doing it alone and all that sort of stuff. So I don't hate that on a long term basis. But I, I'm, I'm with Sidric on pretty deadly as well. I was, uh, it's a tough spot, right, for them, because this is a big opportunity and they've been given a bit of spotlight. But like, you've got a, I know it's only NXT 2.0, but you've kind of, as I expect 
um, Ben Carter, Nathan Frazier do. You've got to kind of be the standout performer of the week when you're in this spot. Yeah. This has got to be the thing that everybody talks about coming off this show. And I think they felt like quite a long way short of that. There was nothing in ring that made you think, oh, like it, nothing gets gifted. We've just talked about the belt. Like nothing ever gets really talked about. And it's kind of your job in a, in a position you've been given like this to be the talked about thing off a show. And I don't think they were anywhere near that. Yeah, I can understand where you're both coming from with that. I did really like the shot of just the exhausted Creed brothers being like, oh, for f- yeah. the, you know, they're, yeah, boy, off, the, off down the ramp. And there's Bivens with his great face. Surprise, mm. Banter potential. Banter potential are pretty deadly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just the two lads just, just slumped on top of each other going, all that. And yeah. these gits have gone off with the titles. I think it's a, it's a good story that they've got going. Uh, you know, like I say, mixed opinions on the whole gauntlet. But uh, let us know your thoughts on the whole show on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We'll be back later on today to look ahead to AW Dino, mate. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, and that will be in your feed as soon as it is released. Uh, but for now, this has been the NXT review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.